When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, listeners of the Mad Scientist podcast. I'm your host, Chris Cogswell, joined on the roundtable, as always, by my wonderful co-host, Marie Mayhew. Marie, how is it going? Oh, it's going very well. It's going very well. <laughs> kind of a drawn-out... Oh, it's well, going very well. it's going well. pretty well. It's going, going very well. It's going good. It's going good. <laughs> been a hectic month. Good. I was just going to say, we're getting, you know, you're getting, you're coming down off of Thanksgiving, but you're ramping back up. For, for the you know for the seasonal winter holidays and you got to get your your tree and your whatnot all ready your elf on the shelf if you do that sort of stuff um i don't <laughs> but yes we, we could do that i suppose and we're also joined by the wonderful mike brown here from the pleasing terrors podcast mike how are you tonight hi thank you for having me on the show no problem Mike is a uh, Mike is one of my favorite podcasters. Uh, show is amazing. If you're if you're listening to the Mad Scientist podcast and you have not checked out Pleasing Terrors yet, then I don't know what you're doing. Pause the show. Go download a bunch of Mike's shows and then come back and finish this episode. Um, yeah. So today tonight's episode will be we're gonna be talking about ghosts and water and kind of then just kind of you know Mike I wanted to pick your brain a little bit about what you think about different paranormal things and everything. and uh, But first off, why don't you tell us a little bit about your show? Well, Pleasing Tears is a paranormal-themed podcast that also mixes in uh, quite a bit of history and folklore with some true crime and even literature uh, from time to time. Um, I, I tend to like to try to find subjects where I can kind of pull different things and weave them together into one story. All right. Very cool. Very cool. And Mike is part of uh, pleasing terrors is part of dark myths along with our mm -hmm. show, of course, and a bunch of others, you know, all your favorites, of course. And one of my so, favorite Instagrams too, by the way. Yeah, dude, you're, always, you're killing Instagram, man. Your game, your Instagram game is so much better than ours. Some kind of creepy, you know, tableau where I'm like squinting to see if like, is that, can I, is that like that blur in the corner? Is that a spectral form? But they're very, they're very good. They're, I was, I still think you should get some framed. framed. Well, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate in that Charleston happens to be especially photogenic. Yeah. Uh, particularly at night. Yeah. It's well, so that's actually a really cool thing that um, listeners of this show, you may not know. Mike, you are a you are a ghost uh, ghost tour guide in Charleston, That's right. right? So how so? And you've been doing that now for twenty years, I think you said. Twenty years, That's awesome. yeah, man. How did so? How did you how do you get started in that? What did what kind of? Well, I started off as a history tour guide and uh, just regular. I start off giving Civil War tours, oh. um, and I did that just because I was a history buff. And over time, I. Uh, I kind of ended up giving a lot of different themed tours. 
And one day, uh, there were two guys that I was working with that were writing a book on Charleston ghost stories. And they went to a local haunted fire station to interview a fireman that worked there. And I didn't have anything better to do that day. So I just tagged along with them. And um, that that was where I sort of got interested in the ghost stories, just sort of seeing the, the, the creepy stories mixed in with things that are happening relatively recently mixed in with all the history. I really like the, the combination. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. One thing that I I mean, the Civil War is just is rife with uh, with tragedy and and really great ghost stories that come out of that. So I can oh, yeah. definitely see, I mean, that, you know, I feel, sometimes it's it's kind of funny. My my family is originally from Italy, my mom's side anyways. And so that, you know, uh, visiting visiting Italy, it's, you know, you're you're struck by just how long things have been there. You know what I mean? And and of course, I mean, that's that sounds silly like everything's been everywhere for as long as we know, but you know, like um there's like, you know, rubble in their town and it's like, wow, this was here since the Roman Empire. You know, but in America, it's sort of, you know, everything is is a couple of generations old at most, you know, mm-hmm. but there are certain parts of the country like, you know, um, like the kind of the old port cities and stuff and that really have such a, a storied and long history that it, it makes for, I think, some really fascinating uh, ghost stories in particular. And our, our ghost stories here in the U.S. seem to have a. Uh, they always seem to have kind of a particular flavor to them that aren't really there in European, you know, I, I almost feel, and maybe this is a good question for, um, for Travis on one of the other dark myth shows, um, or some of the other, uh, I actually, I know a couple of podcast hosts that are also tour guides, um, in their, in their daily lives. And a lot of them seem to do ghost tours too, which is kind of, kind of cool. <laughs> But um, I was I, really I, I, I was really banking on him saying I was an investment banker before I started. Yeah, <laughs> right. yeah I got I got scared out of my suit right. and I, like, uh, I came oh, home. So tell us how tell us how you got there. No, keep going. Sorry. Hmm. No, well, I, I just I find it fascinating that a lot of I feel like a lot of other countries have ghost stories where they do take their own flavor. So like European ghost stories seem to always be this was a woman who was tortured for, you know, in a in a, in a castle somewhere or. This is a uh, the old the old maid of the castle or the butler or the king or whatever, whereas here in the U.S. it's are almost you know it's it's a common person almost always you know you have a, the occasional ghost story where it's you know the Vanderbilts uh, haunting their crypt or something but um, I don't know I feel like we demo- we democratize everything here and I th- I like that we also have democratized our ghost stories. Which is yes. Cool. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, that was long-winded and seemingly didn't have a point, but we're going to move on. We're going to keep it in. It'll be fine. Let's get into the point of this actual episode here, uh, ghosts and water. So one one thing that we're going to do here at first is each of us is going to read a little story or snippet or something that we have about a ghost story we like that's connected with water. And then that's just kind of where we're going to start the conversation. So... Uh, Marie, do you want to kick us off here? Um, Absolutely. So my favorite, or one of my favorite um, ghost and water stories is actually pretty close to me. And it takes in a couple different things. It's it's with water, 
Uh, it's in a heavily wooded area, and it's with a hotel. Because you gotta, if you're gonna have a haunting, you really should have a hotel somewhere, somewhere in it. And it's the the Brooksdale Lodge in Santa Cruz Mountains, which is um, this sprawling, or it was at one point, this very sprawling lodge that w opened in like 1870, and it was an old lumber mill, and it was purchased by a man by the name of H.J. Logan, and he is known to have created the Loganberry, or he was what, he was a botanist who actually found and created the, the Loganberry he, from that wait, site. He, cre he created a berry? Well, I believe he, he might not have created a berry, but he was a botanist that found the berry and maybe... Um... Okay, so he's like, okay, so he's like the guy that they credit with, with cultivating the banana. He, uh, I, okay, I get it. So, yeah, I don't know. He, I don't know if the Logan Berry is in the same, you know, in the same uh, stratosphere as the banana, but close. It's close. You know, okay. it's, not, it's not as known, but, you know, still, still. So this man ha had some money. He um, fell in love with the, the area and he opened this, this um, huge lodge in, in the 1870s that was pretty prosperous. And then it was sold. Um, it was sold in the 40s, and at that point, the new owner, which was a, a man by the name of Camp, opened this, um, built onto it and opened this huge dining room, which he called the Brook Room. And the Brook Room, uh, the Brook Room dining room actually has the appearance of almost like a Swiss chalet inside, and it has a fully running stream brook right through the middle of it oh, wow. so they've incorporated all of this like these ginormous redwoods sort of into the actual building itself and some of the some of the foundation and some of the pillars of these huge redwoods and then they have this fully operating stream that is through their main dining room and if you look on if you look online and you see pictures you just put in uh brook room Santa Cruz, you'll see these, this, this gorgeous setting of this multi-tiered uh, kind of wooded chalet with this natural brook that's flowing right through the, right through the center of it and has this oh, wow. gorgeous uh, chandelier above. So it's, it's a really like an amazing, um, an amazing and very popular uh, location at the time. It was supposed to be, you know, the second most popular resort in California at the time and prominent families and diplomats, presidents, everybody would pass through would actually stay there. And they, they list, uh, you know, Marilyn Monroe, uh, Rita Hayworth, President Herbert Hoover. Um, and it had a lot of entertainment too. It's like big bands would play there. Um, so in 1951, it sold again, it changed handies again, and it again, you know, homeland for gangs, gangsters and other shady characters. There was rumors of all these secret passageways and hidden rooms and buried bodies, you know, under the floorboards. And just throughout time, it just started to, it started to um, become less and less glamorous, more and more seedy, more and more sort of this dark side. And, and this is also when they start to uh, start to say that they had ghost sightings there. So especially in the the Brook Room, um, the Brook Dining Room, they started to report the sighting of a six-year-old, the spectral figure of a six-year-old girl who they thought was Sarah Logan, who was the niece 
of the original lodge owner who drowned in the dining room creek. Ooh. And they say that it is her ghost that is most seen at the Brookdale. You know, and this is like this, again, this watery death that, you know, again, I, you would think, well, you know, sort of this beautiful natural stream, this indoor-outdoor thing, that sounds pretty good, until, you know, you have to get an insurance clause for it. So. I mean, little kids in water, it's like... It's like, you know, right? having a having yeah. a picnic at the beach. The seagulls are going to get there. Mm, mm. The kids are going to fall into the river. That's just, it's, you got to put up a gate. Yeah, you got to put up a gate. You got to put, put up, up a, a gate. gate. But, you know, again, this is this is relatively early on. This is the, um, the 40s, the 50s when this is coming in. It's not like, you know, public safety within this type of thing is, is really closely monitored probably. Sure, yeah. Um, and then it's just, you know, ongoing, there's, there's all these stories that come up about, again, a 13 year old girl who was drowned in, um, they had these, these huge kidney shaped pools that you could actually sit, uh, that had glass sides. So you could see, you'd sit in the bar and you could see people swimming. And then you could also, they would have mermaid shows at night. So they would have women dressed up as mermaids and going in and swimming. And it was called the mermaid room. And so mysteriously in the 70s a girl 13 supposedly a 13 year old girl drowned in one of these pools thus oh. shutting down thus shutting down the uh the mermaid room wow that's, so, that's yeah right so you have all these really again just you know the sort of the 40s the heyday glamour it's in this it's in this you know pristine state and then over time going into the 70s more and more, you know, it changes hands more and more often. It gets more and more tales behind it. And I would say, like, in my brief investigation of this, um, really when you start to hear more of the stories coming into the paper and being much more publicized is in the 90s. And in about 1991 is when a lot more, um, I wouldn't say a lot more, but definitely the focus of, of media is starting to pay more attention to uh to the brookdale and you have i think like ghost catcher series and a lot of other discovery channels going and you know interviewing and bringing in their spectrometers or whatever their emf reading and, and starting to like try and find out what's going on so i i have a little bit more to the story as well but that's just to start and i would say like that's led all the way up to um to the 1990s and in the 1990s late 90s there was a fire that was actually, uh, they've determined was arson at the time for, for insurance. And since then it has, you know, it shut down um, and now is, 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 has been repurchased and is going through sort of another renaissance. Uh, the new owner is putting a lot of money back into it and trying to bring it up to its original state. Interesting. Man. Mm -hmm. so, I mean, it you know. sounds like a cool place to eat, but not necessarily swim. <laughs> Evidently, I mean, not a great swimming track record. Uh, Mike, what do you got? Well, like Marie's, my uh, my story also involves a hotel. This one is in Austin, Texas. It's called the Driscoll Hotel, and it is relatively famous for being haunted. In particular, uh, room five twenty five of the Driscoll Hotel. This is a very sort of a shining type mm -hmm. uh, story. Uh, room 525 is supposed to be haunted by what they call the suicide brides. And two different, two different uh, women, 20 years apart, 
uh, both died in the bathtub of room 525, both by committing suicide. Ooh. Uh, supposedly, according to the most versions of the story, because their fiance jilted them at the last moment. And there was an incident, a specific incident in 1999, where that particular floor was being renovated and there were two ladies staying in the Driscoll Hotel. And they knew of the story or they had heard some pieces of the story and they wanted to go and, you know, just be curious and go see at least the fifth floor and maybe the door of room 525. And so they, uh, the floors were off limits because of the renovations. So they decided to sneak onto the fifth floor and have a look. And so they take the elevator up to the sixth floor or, or one of the other floors and they get off and then they just go down the stairs. And when they get to the, the fifth floor, it's the whole, you can tell that it's being renovated. You know, there's plastic hanging down. There's, there's all sorts of, of clutter and, and stuff involved in the, the renovation work. And they look down the hall towards where the room is and they're surprised to see a woman walking away from them down the hall. And the woman is carrying uh, bags in both of her hands. And she stops in front of one of the rooms and turns and faces the room. And they can see her standing there. And she reaches for the door. And one of the ladies yells down to her, hey, doesn't it bother you staying on a floor with all this work going on? And they said the woman answered them, not at all, and then walked into the room. And so later on, they go downstairs to the lobby and they're talking to someone that works at the hotel and they tell them that, hey, you know, we kind of went on to the fifth floor and there's a woman that's staying there. I thought those floors were closed. And they said, there's no one staying on the fifth floor. It's completely shut down for the renovations. And they said, well, there's someone there because we saw them. And I guess they started arguing about it. And the the manager or the person that they're talking to says, well, why don't we go see? And so he gets the keys and they go up to the fifth floor and they walk down to the door where they had seen this woman enter. And they, um, the manager unlocks the door and they swing the door open and the room is completely a mess because they're working on it. There's no way that anyone is staying in this room. And so the story goes that the, the, one of uh, there's one story, one of the brides. I, I don't really know the story, but the other one was fairly specific in that uh, a woman was staying there. She was engaged. Her fiance had called off the wedding at the last minute, and so she had gone shopping in Austin, and then had come back to the hotel. Her arms loaded down with shopping bags, and then gone into the room and undressed and took a pillow from the bed and then went into the bathroom next to the bathtub and put the pillow over her hand and shot herself in the stomach and then collapsed into the bathtub. And that was how she was found. Hmm. Um, So it's, it's interesting on one level because the story connects uh, at least symbolically with the idea of water in that both of the ghosts, both of the ghosts were supposedly connected to bathtubs within the hotel But the hotel itself is also connected to water because it's built on top of a natural artesian well. And in fact, prior to the hotel being there, it was the site of a a bathhouse in Austin. Mm. So it was a a public bath. 
And then even before Austin existed, the, the well was a stopping place for travelers who were, were moving through that part of the country. And, you know, even going back to before there were, you know, white settlers there when it was just Native Americans, that particular well was thought to have spiritual significance. And it was considered to be a sacred place by the Native Americans who would stop there because it's an arid country. And so as a source of water, and on top of that, especially a source of water that was considered to have spiritual or, or religious significance, uh, it was a, a place that people would, would come to from a variety of tribes. And their belief at the time was that there was a connection between spirits and water and that the water contained spirits, both spirits that were living inside the well willingly and spirits that had somehow become trapped there. And their belief was that if people were to live there, they didn't believe in living there. That was just a place they would come to in their travels and then leave. They believed that it was not necessarily smart to live there because if you lived in the presence of the spirits, if the spirits became unhappy, then they could actually harm people. And interestingly enough, in 1885, which is when the foundation for the Driscoll Hotel was laid, that same year is when a series of infamous murders, um, in fact, what is considered to be the first series of serial killings that we know of in the United States called the Servant Girl Annihilator Murders began the exact same year that the foundation was laid for the Driscoll on top of this artesian well. Wow. And uh, wow. those murders, which I think it was maybe eight people that were murdered, but a total of something like 10 that were attacked with an ax in, in a number of cases. But uh, I mean, just brutal, hmm. brutal murders. And uh, they, they went from December of 1884 when they began to December of 1885 when uh, the last two murders occurred. But um, I've, I've always found that, that kind of interesting that there is this when – you, when, when we first started talking about the idea of a connection between ghosts and water, which is not really something that I'd ever thought about before, this particular location immediately sprang to mind. Mm -hmm. Because not only – like I said, not only of the connection in terms of, of bathtubs and suicides, and, which is just instantly creepy because it, it reminds me of The Shining. Sure. But, uh, yeah. but also because there's this sort of deeper, literally and figuratively deeper connection between water and hauntings and that location, which goes back possibly centuries. Yeah, that's there's creepy. that is really that's a very good one. I am uh, I am glad we had you on to tell that. That is a good yeah. one. Man. What is it what? with like uh, the thing I love is like the specificity, like mine has a, a hotel room as well. Like there's got to be a specific room, right? To make it real, and just even to tie it back to, you know, to to Stephen King, to the to The Shining. It's like you get you get room whatever, ba ba ba. You know, it's like that's the nice. That's like that's definitely where, you know, like the the origin of a lotus or whatever it is of, you know, that the energy is is coming from for for the narrative. It's so. It's so creepy. It's so creepy. Right. Well, I think there's something to the idea that so actually, uh, what Mike, what 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 in the Mike story of the Driscoll, um, mm -hmm. the idea of there being this well, this this area mm -hmm. of, 
of Oasis, a refuge in this uh, dangerous and scary world that, you know, um, that frankly we even still to this day kind of live in. But, you know, uh, water water is one of those things you can't live without, right? So um, I think there is there is something to be said about this idea of not only like transience of traveling and then finding a place of refuge like a hotel room and also like a like a river or like a well or, you know, a source of clear water where you could um, where you could rest and uh, wait and hopefully regain your strength and then continue on your journey. But also the idea of this is literally where people would have been most likely to exist for the vast majority of human history. Right. I mean, if ghosts are if ghosts do exist then doesn't it make sense that they would be most likely where the most people have been, right? And before we had running water and uh, irrigation and things, that was near water sources, right? So Yeah, I, yeah. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, something that I was thinking about when we were, were talking about this subject, or at least thinking about this subject for, for this episode, was that you know the medium in which ghosts exist, which is in, in, inarguable. I mean, there's no debate. The medium in which ghosts absolutely do exist is in stories. Absolutely. And the place where you find stories is obviously the place where you find people, where people gather and, and mm -hmm. stay for periods of time. And of course, what is the one characteristic common to every place that people live? And that's water. Uh-huh. hundred percent. So there, yeah. so yeah. there, you know, there, there's at least an indirect connection there definitely between ghost stories and water because ghost stories are going to crop up where the people are. The people are always going to be where the water is. Yeah. You know, so actually a topic that I wanted to do for this episode, but then I thought, um, is, is going to end up being its own whole thing for us anyways, is the Bridgewater Triangle in, in Massachusetts. Um, and the Bridgewater Triangle is kind of, it's one of those places that it's like a, you know, a, a buffet of paranormal things. You got Bigfoot, you got UFOs, you got, you know, orbs, you got ghosts, <laughs> you got devils and all kinds of good stuff. But one part of that legend that I think is, is kind of uh, a motif, I guess, that we see consistently is the idea of uh, a, a water source that has been poisoned or a water source a water source that has been cursed in some way. And whenever I whenever I hear stories like that, it there's this thing in in there's this thing in evolutionary biology called a just so story. And what that is is um mm -hmm. it's kind of like, you know, thunder is god bowling. Right? It's it's that kind of story where things are the way that they are because the universe is perfect and you know, every everything is just so, right? And not only that, but everything works logically. There are no kind of, uh, there are no leaps in imagination or leaps in thinking. So an example of that in evolutionary biology would be, um, why do guys at parties play guitar? They play guitar because guitar playing is for some reason attractive to females and that will lead to more procreation and therefore it's better for their genes and yada, 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 right? It's, it's used as these kind of like hand wavy ways to make evolution fit anyone's preconceived notions. And one kind of just so story that I actually, 
I actually think there is something too, is the idea that stories of hauntings or stories of, and this, this wouldn't necessarily be a just story. It's almost more of like an, I don't know, an anthropological, uh, hypothesis i suppose maybe hypothesis is too strong a word but yeah that's like that's like i get mad at people when they say that one out nice yeah when they say the ancient alien hypothesis i'm Mm -hmm. like no but now here i am using it for my not my own field but uh (laughs) you know whatever there's there's an anthropologist somewhere ready to flip this table over that they're sitting at but um the idea that this okay this water source is haunted is a really good way to keep people from drinking dirty water that causes them to get sick and die right um so the idea that some of these water sources maybe were really dangerous for people and the way that they had to explain it was well in the distant past some evil tribe or some evil god or something came and and said those who live in this area and drink from this water are going to die you know, and it did happen. They would die because of the amoebas or whatever was in the water. But, you know, it, it wasn't magic. It was uh, it was diarrhea, you know, which as is often the which, case with magic, which is really what we're, we should have called this. Uh, we should call this, which is, you know, well, you know, the thing of it is, I can tell you this. I mean, because I'm basically in, in the business of oral yeah. traditions. Yeah, oral totally. So, I mean, it, it's been my experience that the guy doesn't even have to die when he drinks from the well, he could drink from the well and then just coincidentally, he gets a stomach ache. And by the time that story has passed through six other people, he's dead. Yeah. Oh yeah. And the well is cursed. You know, I mean, that's just the, it's just the way stories work is, is that, uh, in, in order to survive, uh, orally stories have to become more interesting Right. Yeah. And uh, in order to 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 keep going. And so they get more, you know, that that's they get more interesting as they go. Otherwise, mm-hmm. people stop telling them. Well, sure. I think one of the things that's really awesome, too, is you always like the the ghosts are more often than not a jilted bride. Right. She's she was right. she was left on her wedding day or a child. Right. Child looking for its parents or looking for its mother. I mean, you could get the, you know, you can get the, uh, the outlier of the, the guy with the axe or, you know, something that's a little bit more menacing. But with this with this type of story and even with the hotels, I feel like you see that again and again and again. Right. It's like it's always something, you know, it's always something in those in those veins. And again, it's it's like what who who paid the punishment or what is sort of the cost of of bad water or what is the cost that is incurred that's going to be taken from the society is the idea of, of, um, of children or procreation or of a future kind of in some ways. Well, there's the, if you want to look at it almost in sort of that, you know, that, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think, I think there's a cool, I mean, so one idea that's kind of you know, been consistent, Mm -hmm. I would say in the history of, uh, consistent maybe is too strong again and too strong a damn word but the idea of uh, ghosts in some way being maybe not residue necessarily but uh, ghostly apparitions being caused by moments of extreme stress right and that's true mm-hmm. even of even if we get away from just pure ghostly encounters um you know there is i think definitely an archetype for the kind of the kind of person you expect to be magical or the kind of person you expect to be able to do things out of the ordinary, right? It's, 
it's uh, for a long time it was it was old women, uh-huh. right? Were thought to be in some way because how did they survive that long? Right, <laughs> right. I mean, their husbands died. That's <laughs> that's a little the old bit weird. Survive that long? Um, you know, there's a little bit of that, and then there's also I think something with the idea of of, a, of children, like you were saying, Marie, but specifically young women seem to consistently be brought up in these things. You, you look at uh, poltergeist, right? I mean, every poltergeist story has a young girl in it what? somehow or some way. Corpse right? and they always Well, yeah, right? Or, or a bride or a, a yeah. woman who dies at this kind of, I think what was supposed to be throughout um, previous history, and I'm even saying like back in the 90s, like the day of marriage was like supposed to be the day, right? Um, it was like, and, and so then to be betrayed on that day in some way, or yeah, to no, have... it's, it's the big archetype. It's a, it's a huge, even Disney. I mean, even the haunted mansion cashes in on the haunted bride, right? On the, yeah. on the bride who, who offed her husbands or who is, is cursed to, you know, something has happened on that day and she, that's the reliving of it constantly. It's like, sure. it's. It's excellent, especially I think when you put that with hotels and then you do have you do have it tied in with water. It just it resonates even more. Yeah. So, OK, so let me get to my story. Finally, ah. um, mine is about Sailor's Snug Harbor, which is on uh, Staten Island, New York, the part of New York City that I grew up on. Shout out and Staten Island. S- Shout out Staten Island. <laughs> Let's go Dolphins. Um, it's the local college is, uh, very scary chess animal. Team. Excellent <laughs> chess um, team. Excellent chess team. So the, um, nationally Marie, ranked. Marie, how did you know I was a chess nerd in high school? How did you know that? Shut it. Oh my goodness. Well, when you so, were, when you were so, with AV and Dungeons and Dragons, I was figuring we would have a chess team. Oh, sure. Chess. Yeah. So Sailor Snug Harbor is really fascinating. And actually Staten Island has a lot of haunted places Considering how, um, how, I don't know, sm- I guess small, it seems small to me growing up because I grew up there, but now being in other places, like the entirety of St. Paul has the same, or the Twin Cities have the same population size as Staten Island, New York, um, which is just one of the, f- it's the smallest of the five boroughs, I think, in population size. Um, so pretty fascinating. But anyways... Staten Island seems to have a lot of these kind of haunted places. And when I was growing up, there were places that you knew supposedly were haunted. And one of them was Snug Harbor. The other one was uh, what's known as the Boat Graveyard, which was fascinating. I, I have, I have always heard that it was haunted. I could never hear, there was never anything specific, but it was always like, you know, well, there's a, there's like man with a hooked hand or whatever there. You know what I mean? Like it was always they need nebulous. they need something with annihilation in it. Like yeah, I like that was... one from the other story. That's a bright annihilation, sailor annihilation, yeah. something like that to kind of get <laughs> to jumpstart it. Yeah. So this so this story um, about Snug Harbor. So Snug Harbor, officially called Sailor Snug Harbor, was um, it's this it's a beautiful uh, piece of land and home and cottages and things like a big complex of things in New York City on Staten Island, um, and it's on the North shore of Staten Island kind of right across the water from uh, Jersey. And so there, it has all kinds of different, uh, you know, historical connections and things, but um, it's very, very interesting. It began 
or was it at one point in time a um it was at one point in time a home for sailors for uh, for sailors who had retired i guess and there are all kinds of uh, ghost stories and things associated with with that even idea of a sailor who you know never got to go back home or never really had a home in the first place right Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's, I think, I think quite fascinating. So this is a, this is a quote, um, from a description of it. It was an institution to care for aged, decrepit and worn out semen. Um, so quite a, uh, quite a, an enticing sounding thing. If you're an old sailor, <laughs> they're like, are you decrepit? No romanticizing that. Yeah. No, they're just like, these are all for, for all the stinky sailors out there. Come to snug Harbor. So there are two there. So there's a lot of different ghostly sightings that occur on the grounds of snug Harbor. One of which is a, uh, a woman who you see a woman and a child occasionally who you see, coming up a staircase at the matron's cottage, which is on the grounds of the snug Harbor. And so um, the matron's cottage is where the uh, kind of the, the head woman, the, the, you know, the female staff would live who took care of the sailors at the, uh, at the residence. And so the rumor is that a, uh, the matron, the, the head of the household um, had an affair with someone, a groundsman or a sailor or something, and had a child that was illegitimate. And to keep her secret and continue with her job, the son was kept in the basement um, of Snug Harbor, kind of, you know, in a in a prison of sorts, chained up and everything until he was uh, 13 years old. At which point, at the age of 13, he escaped and uh, killed his mother. So uh, this kind of puts together all the stories As you of, do. The, of the bride yeah. and the illegitimate son and the dog. Yeah, you know, the, that, oh, that old chestnut. You see, boy, boy turns 13, boy escapes basement dungeon, boy kills mother. That old chestnut. So supposedly then he was found, um, he was then found hiding in the woods and was hung uh, in a tree behind the matron's home. Now, there is no actual evidence for this story being true. But there is another murder that occurred here, a relatively famous one. This is from the New York Times, 1863. I'm going to read this in my best old-timey reporter voice. Uh, Murder-suicide on Staten Island. The chaplain of the Sailor's Snug Harbor shot and instantly killed by an inmate of that institution. Court of General Sessions before Judge McGunn. At nine o'clock yesterday morning, a most atricious homicide was committed at the Sailor's Snug Harbor, Staten Island, under the following circumstances. The chaplain of the institution, the Reverend Robert A. Quinn, had been holding religious services in the Sailor's Chapel and was on his return home when a sailor named Herman Ingalls, who was standing near the corner of the main building, confronted him saying, you'll expose me. I know you will if you live and immediately drew from his breast pocket a double-barreled pistol and fired at Mr. Quinn. The ball entered his left breast immediately under the heart, and after reeling for a few seconds, Mr. Quinn dropped dead, exclaiming, I'm shot! I'm shot! The sailor then turned around, placed the pistol close to the side of his own head, discharged the remaining barrel, and fell. The shot tore away his entire lower jaw. Now that actually happened! Yeah, it's intense, right? (laughs) 
And so, yeah. uh, all, and, and I mean, the, what's interesting about this part of New York is that Staten Island is kind of fascinating, I think, for a lot of, a lot of interesting reasons. It's, it was, the joke was back in the, back in, I guess, the 60s, 50s, all the way to like the late 90s, was Staten Island was where you went to dump your mob hits. You know, if you couldn't get to the Gowanus to jump, to dump them there, you went to Staten Island and threw them away, either at the ginormous dump, which is what we were most famous for, or um, in the woods someplace. And uh, Staten Island is also, I think, fascinating because of it's it's a small island. There's all these little rivers and things that run through, and it can be legitimately terrifying, or it was legitimately terrifying for me as a kid. You know, um, you never knew. I mean, mostly terrifying because yeah. you never Shawless knew. sailors, ghosts of yeah. sailors yeah. wandering around. So I, I I love that story. Um, I actually really like. There's a lot of cool ghost stories about Staten Island. Um, maybe someday we'll do a whole episode on them. I got, I've got plenty of books on it out there, but yeah. So, and so this one is kind of connected to water in a, in almost a, uh, you know, kind of a, a circular way, I suppose. It's a sailor. Um, they live on an island. No, I mean, but it's still, it's a proxy, <laughs> right? Like you could still yeah. like all of the, all of the haunted, the ghost ships, the Bermuda Triangle, all of that stuff could be, can, you know, I would. I would lump into the hauntings near water. I think it's, it's, yeah. I mean, there's no getting away from it. And I think that one was, I love the vivid detail and the old Thank timey you. voice. Yeah. It kind of, done. it kind of fell away at the end. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. I so, think you were, you were like, Oh my God, this, yeah, that's right. He lost his It gets job. a little serious Lovely. at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> so here's the thing. One, one, thing that I really like about this idea of, of running water specifically in ghost stories is the idea that a ghost is an imprint left behind on the physical world in some way. And so the energy of the water, like the kinetic energy of the, of the water molecules actually flowing is enough in some way to store the, uh, the ghost behind, you know, the ghost's uh, memory, or I I've even heard it, I have heard it explained to me in, in this way as well, where it's almost like the, the, the water itself acts as a recording device, almost like a, um, almost like a magnetic recording strip on a tape, a uh, tape player tape. Or, I mean, even if you just want to get mm. as bind, you know, as kind of uh, binary as you can think of it, um, the river in some way holds the psychic energy. And, and you, I mean, Marie, you know, I hate, psychic energy with a passion mm-hmm. but um chemtrails. it kind of it, it it holds it back chemtrails mm-hmm. it holds it back in some way and then allows it to be repeated when the conditions are just right so you know the same emotion i like that return. idea yeah. it was it's fascinating right um so i will say the second part of my story really quickly is going back doing the research doing more reading into it this both of these instances of the deaths with water are completely fictitious is what I found that there is no, there is no um, historical record of it. There's no, there's no record of anyone drowning actually at the lodge. There's no Hmm. record of a a niece or a daughter, um, you know, dying or any of that, any of those circumstances or the idea of a 13 year old drowning in the swimming pool actually just 
did not happen. So they think that that was mostly created from going into the 1990s to actually help drum up more business. Oh, that's funny. The hotel. However, the interesting thing that I would that does tie back into what you were saying is this hotel has has just you know it was built up as you know sort of um, this man-made enclave and refuge in this huge redwood forest, and I feel like it has it has the worst run of luck, and nature has just sort of torn it down. Like even going back in and trying to. Um, uh, trying to refurb it. So the new owners who bought it in the early in the early two, 2000s, they still don't have it. I think it just recently opened and it was years and years behind on schedule just because of all the torrential weather. And the fact that you really can't build a very stable foundation around running water. It just is not going it's not built to oh, last. Sure. Sure, yeah. So I think that there's something there's something about there's something about kind of that in with this as well. It's like even if you don't have the actual, you know, vision or uh, apparition, you have something that is going to be fighting with you. It's almost going to be haunting you, regardless. That you're not going to be able to sustain, which is how I like mm. to look at the how I like to look at the hotel. Mm. Well, so... sorry, Buzz Killer, but. <laughs> <laughs> Well, you know, it also it's interesting too because as, as somebody was saying earlier, it the idea of these stories of children drowning in mm -hmm. the water, it, it it carries this sort of inherent warning mm -hmm. in the story. Yeah. Mm -hmm. This this message that you, children should stay away from the water. And it, it carries it in a in a way that children would be more likely to take it seriously than if it was just an adult saying stay away from the the water. Right. right. You know, those stories always remind me of Everyone in everyone in middle school knew a kid who knew a kid who actually got his head chopped off by sticking his head out the, the bus window, mm -hmm. right? Like everyone, everyone knew that the kid roller coaster supposedly. stood up right, on the roller coaster, the, yeah, man. stood up on the roller coaster and you mm -hmm. know head chopped right off or whatever. That'll do um, it. So one one thing actually that I think is a good, I guess, kind of a segue into this next part of the discussion, I suppose, is um, so what we often like to talk about kind of the well we i guess uh i suppose it's something that we've now borrowed from astonishing legends because forest uh has these things called the rules right and they there are these uh, kind of catch-all things where you know they seem to carry out throughout whatever paranormal thing you're talking about they seem to be consistent right so probably the the one that's most often touched on in astonishing legends at least is uh, evil or dark things can't come into your home. You have to invite them in, right? So you have the story of like the black eyed children who they knock on the door and are like, you know, could we come in? And you know, you say, no, they don't. Or uh, vampires, the same thing was true. Um, you know, or spirits on, on, uh, on all hollows Eve or whatever. There's these stories about the power of, uh, of permission, right? And, on top of that comes this idea of getting something's names. For some reason, the, the proper name of something seems to hold power. But one that I think is often overlooked is the power of running water. So, for instance, with vampires, a vampire, one of the ways to stop a vampire from coming back or to keep it away from you is to put running water between you and the vampire, right? So, um, Really? Yeah, yeah. Oh, running water yeah. Is, mm -hmm. is one of the... It's so funny if you just kind of built a moat around Dracula's castle, 
you'd be super well so long as it was flowing i guess it had a but moat it didn't have a moat Dracula's no it did have a, had a moat it had a moat oh wait it totally had a moat because he had to climb totally down the cliff or whatever had a moat. Oh damn it! Well, Boom. whatever. It's got to be Humanity's running water. Humanity's majored. So the whole, so the whole thing was like, so for instance, in the book, um, they had they had to transport Dracula had to be put onto a ship in his coffin, right? Yes. He had to be the ship had to come over to the United Kingdom. He could not travel there himself under his own power. And it and it's true. This shows up again and again in the stories of um, of you know. Uh, Romania and and uh, Ukraine and Poland and stuff where if you want to make sure that a revenant can't come back or a, or a vampire or something you chop off their head you bury the head on an island and then you can uh, burn the body right and that way they definitely can't go back they're never coming back Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. I was wondering if um, I was wondering. Well, first off, Mike, I think that's just a, an interesting tidbit, I suppose. But I was wondering. Well, you know, it's interesting that you mention it because, and I'm amazed this didn't occur to me before. But there's actually a very specific tradition exactly along those lines in Charleston. Um, there is a certain color of blue that people that used to be more common in the African American community here, especially out on the the barrier islands and the sea islands on the coast where you, you had populations that had kind of been isolated to some extent from people that lived on the mainland. And there was this tradition of painting windows and door frames with a certain color of blue. And it, it's called haint blue, H-A-I-N-T, haint blue. And the belief was that the blue of the paint would symbolize running water and that oh. evil spirits wouldn't be able to pass through the windows or the doors as long as they were protected in that that blue paint, because it would effectively ward them off. It's sort of like an updated version of the biblical account where they would paint the lamb's blood above yeah. the, the hmm. doorway when the angel of death was passing through. So um, that's that's exactly sort of what you were just talking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and now you'll still see the the color of paint. Now it's more decorative now than anything, but. Um, but it had a very specific purpose when it was originally. Wow, that's actually really, that's really interesting. You know, it remind, and it, it does remind me of the, um, yeah, you, like you said, with the religious, uh, the religious kind of connotations to it as well. It's a, it's an important symbol. Water is in Catholicism and Christianity, right? I mean, you have holy water, mm -hmm. and the idea of baptism is cleaning. Uh, the spirit and the body and water, uh, the cleaning of feet, all that stuff is is important in some symbolic way. And, and kind of water is thought to be this um, just a general like cleansing, purifying thing. So one one thing that we always talk about, it's kind of, I guess, our addendum to the rules of forest, I suppose. Or maybe we're making our own rules, Marie. Oh, we just ripped them off. It's fine. Keep going. <laughs> <laughs> we rip them off. It's our own damn rule. Uh, yeah, they didn't trademark them. We're fine. It's uh, it's 
that these paranormal, like if you want to be able to tell if a thing is uh, like a mythology or a, just kind of a story, even a modern day story that we continue to tell ourselves versus something that's based in uh, fact or science or however you want to, you know, materialism, however you want to describe it is that um, paranormal or magical stories or ideas don't actually change. They just kind of like, they don't change in, in their underlying, I guess, moral or story. They just change their shape almost. Mm -hmm. And one version of that, that I actually think is really interesting is the idea that that water in some way attracts UFOs. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of this. No. So, so I'm a big, no. It's okay. So I'm a big UFO nerd. Um, I, I find that, I, you know, it's like our modern day mythology. I absolutely love it, but it's this idea that, uh, for some reason, again, they're drawn, uh, these crafts or lights or whatever people are seeing are drawn to running water for some reason. And it's one of those things where, I always find a, a correlation to the idea like we like I had brought up earlier in the episode where uh, of, of a meeting place or a crossroads or a, a central point where people gather before they go on their way. Right. And that's actually a another one of those rules. It seems like if you go through the history of these stories and things is uh, evil stuff or paranormal things seem to happen at crossroads. They seem to happen at areas where people converge and whether or not that's mm-hmm. because there's just more people there. So your chances are higher or there is some like, I don't know, uh, well, it's psychological reason or something. It's but, like the, well, it's... also a... go ahead, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> well, I was just going to say a crossroads in itself is a very symbolic place because in, inherently a crossroads Im- implies that you are at a place where you have to make a choice mm-hmm. between going yeah. one way or the other way. Yeah. But sure. And there's something that's so, going to take you, know, you off your path. Right. Yeah. And so there with choices also comes the idea that there are consequences and you can make bad choices. So it, it's, uh, it, it's, that's really interesting, but I, I think it's, uh, I think it's what better place for stories like that than a crossroads. Yeah. And I think there's definitely something, the idea, like you were saying earlier where, you know, these stories, uh, whether or not they're, like, I actually think it's kind of interesting that, Marie, your stories had no uh, historical fact. They just seem to be stories that these people were telling to bring in tourists, right? You can mm-hmm. see that happening in the past, too, right? Like, you know, we're the inn with the haunted uh, hay mattress. You know, come come for a pint and see the haunted uh, chamber pot, right? Like, that, it's, it, how do you fill the seats? You know, you got to get people in the seats. Right. Uh, well, but I and find... I'm sure that people have, you know, after these stories also saw things like it's self-substantiating, oh, sure. right? Like if you start to, if you start to say that this is, you know, this is the, the, the ghost of the little girl was seen here. I mean, I think that that's natural. You're going to start to have more occurrences, but then the, yeah. the, the weird question is like chicken and egg. Well, then are you seeing something or are you thinking that you're seeing something? I mean, that's right. Right. Well, it's the difference yeah. in my head with this. Absolutely. I think it's, I think like what you were saying, it's the difference between having a dream about a little girl in uh, you know, whatever, a ghostly apparition or something in your own house and being like, well, you know, my house was built in 2012. I don't think anyone's died here yet. 
um, versus in a hotel room that's supposedly haunted. And suddenly that dream holds special significance. until you remember it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that's actually really, really interesting. I, so I kind of want to, I kind of want to move on to the next segment here where Mike, I'm just going to ask you a bunch of questions that have been on my mind. Sure. But uh, before we go, anyone got any last last things on ghosts and water? No, but I'm looking for that the place with the haunted chamber pot. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually, I actually, Marie looked up uh, Loganberries after you said it. He did invent Loganberries by accident. He invented them. How this do you says, invent a Loganberry? Like, what is says, Loganberry? I didn't want to get too into it because I didn't want to sound ignorant. I don't know what a Loganberry is. This is this is there from the Wikipedia page. This is a, a, a sentence that I really like. Mm-hmm. Logan was unsatisfied with the existing varieties of blackberries and tried crossing two varieties of blackberries to produce a superior cultivar. So this man was eating breakfast one day and was like, you know what? I am I am unsatisfied with these blackberries. And he just put two plants next to each other, and they accidentally invented a whole new type of berry. But isn't that the 1870s? Is like you have some guy who's like, you know Ridiculous. what? You know what? I am these plebeian berries. I can, you know, I shall rise above this with science, and I now will, you know, I will tame this this redwood forest, and I will build a sprawling Swiss chalet, and I shall even make my own berries and name them after myself. I mean, that's science. that's a pretty good origin story for a downfall. You know, it's almost science like a little bit up. of hubris. Science Not, run amok. Science I wonder how that amok. works as a pickup line. <laughs> I made my own berries. <laughs> you know, you know, I invented the Logan berry. And then you get smacked. <laughs> just, I don't know where this is going, but I don't like it, sir. <laughs> Ridiculous. Uh, all right. Well, let's let's get into this quick. We have been talking for an hour so far. Mike had a couple of just, you know, I listening to your show. It's a treat and honor to have you here. So I just wanted to get a couple of quick, you know, a couple quick questions thrown at you here. Sure. So I'm really fascinated. What what would you say is the. The thing that you are in, in this whole spooky realm of stuff that we kind of talk about on our shows, what would you say is the thing that you're the most skeptical of and the least skeptical of uh you know the thing that i am most skeptical of are um are the the people like you see on tv that supposedly can talk to the dead oh yeah uh i don't know why especially since i tell ghost stories of the living you would think (laughs) that i would be more tolerant of that sort of thing but um i don't know that just rubs me the wrong way for some reason I guess because I guess because you know if you if you tell someone a ghost story they can believe it they cannot believe it they can like it they don't like it there's no there's no harm yeah. you know but when you're when you're going to someone who's in pain because they've lost a loved one and you're you're in my opinion you know just basically you know making stuff up I uh, to me that just seems inherently harmful and uh, it just uh, it rubs me. Yeah, I'm, I'm, mm-hmm. I think, uh, Marie, I'm sure you too, we're, I think we're 100% yeah. on the same side on that one, man. It's one of those things where, so it's actually kind of funny, whenever Katie really likes one of those shows, and I'm not going to say which one, because I, I, I don't know if she actually is a powerful, my wife loves one of those shows. I don't know, if, yeah. yeah, I don't know if she's a powerful warlock or not, but, um, 
Katie. Oh, Whenever yeah. it comes on, I will say to Katie and Jess that she's supporting necromancy. Because technically, that is what necromancy is, is talking to the dead. <laughs> so, <laughs> she, she, you know, they should call the show, uh, you know, World's Best Necromancer or something. Then I'd watch it, probably. Be a little bit more badass. But, uh, yeah. No, I, I think we we often get into these, like... I don't want to say, like, existential questions with ourselves, but almost, like, as someone who's... I mean, this show specifically is... We're trying to, like promote scientific thinking by uh, talking about these stories and change, you know, how pseudoscience morphs into science, but still leaves behind pseudoscience. Right. And, right. Th- but there are topics like with, with like climate change, say we had uh, some of the people that do research for us were like, well, why don't you have someone on who doesn't, doesn't think that it's happening. And, while that might be entertaining, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's fruitful. And I don't know if it's good. You because, know, because we probably want to slap them. Well, Sorry. besides that, it's it's like giving um, <laughs> it's giving a place for someone who's not arguing in good faith. You know, I have no problem with someone saying that they they don't believe in something that I believe in, but I I would hope that they're coming at it from a place that we can at least agree to disagree at the end. You know. Um, so anyway, so what's the thing that you're, what's the thing that you, you believe the most then? Um, um, well, you know, when I first started giving ghost tours 20 years ago, uh, right before I started doing it, I didn't know if I could do it because I, was like, I don't know if I really believe ghosts. Um, but over the years, there have been so many really weird things that have happened. And, and really, so many people that I've talked to that have talked about things that have happened to them, that it, I would say that it's, it's kind of put me in a position of saying, it seems like there's something going on here, and I don't know what it is. Sure. But there's something here that's weird that I can't explain. And, uh, you know, it's easy to, to dismiss people in, individually or in small numbers, you know, but when over a 20-year period, when, when you have, you know, hundreds and hundreds of people that have normal people too. I mean, not, you know, crazy people, but just average people that'll talk about, you know, these things that have happened to them. It, it becomes very convincing. And then, you know, for example, on the ghost tour itself, there is one location, one specific spot on the ghost tour, uh, that since 2013, 15 people have collapsed on the tour when they, they, stood in that particular place oh we're doing that and and uh <laughs> Chris, get the van go get the van man it is uh you know and at first i'm like okay that's just a weird isolated incident and then it happened again and again and again and again and uh all different times of year can you tell us you what know, spot and... it is no no no, 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 like... no don't tell don't tell no if he tells that it ruins that experiment marie ah i know i'm poisoning the control group but now i just we're guinea know. pigs now no, Mike. Oh, well, you know, but you know, it's interesting. It's interesting because people on the tour will question it, and they will say, "Yeah, but you know, this happened after you told the story." And I would say, "Yeah, it's usually almost always happens after I've told them that people passed out, and then we go over there and somebody passes out." Mm. And uh, and then last September, uh, this past September, <laughs> it, it, I was literally telling people the story. And there was another ghost tour standing at that particular spot across the street. 
and I turn around to see if they're if they're moving on yet or if they're still there. And one of the ladies in the other group passes out. Oh my God. <laughs> so I was like, okay, so that's that's a point in in that favor. Oh, so wow. uh, you know, there's 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 just weird weird stuff like that, which I, I can't explain. Um, you know, and I as I talked about, I want to. They did a. We have a haunted jail here, and I nice. spent the night alone inside of it. Um, I mean, and and that was a very scary experience, and uh, that's just one of those things. It doesn't matter how skeptical you are; uh, that will test your uh, your fortitude. Sure, <laughs> you yeah. know, you know, just yeah. being alone yeah. in a super creepy place. Especially when you're you're very familiar with the history and you know oh, somebody was murdered on that spot or somebody was tortured in that room, it's uh, it really uh, is intense. Yeah, no, sure. we'll we'll skip that one, but definitely the tour. It's skip the, skip, <laughs> skip, the it's cl- skip the camp out in the haunted jail. Right, it's it's but. the uh, it's the home with all the pillows uh, just hanging around, just in case. Man, that's in, that's really interesting. So, wow. I really do kind of want to know where it is, but I also really like, so I have a cousin who lives in, uh, in South Carolina. He's always inviting me to come down. And so I'm hoping to get down there soon. So when I come down, I'm definitely coming on one of your tours. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, the other, I'll I'll go back to go back to your earlier question. Another thing that I'm not a big fan of is, and people ask me about it all the time, um, are like the ghost hunting. Oh, I, that was so, my next question not, was going to be, what do you think? Not a big fan of that, yeah. So one thing that we always talk about um, is kind of the progression of, so there's a pretty like set pattern that things take, or seems to be a relatively set pattern, that things kind of take where way, way back they were pure magic, right? There was like no, and by magic I mean there's no, um, there's no like natural uh, causal chain explanation, right? So it's not like, okay, this is because of, you know, I don't know, temperature and pressure or whatever. It's like, this is because there's a demon in the room with us. Um, And over time, as science gets better, people that believe in this thing try to use science to probe it and kind of measure it and quantify it and stuff. And over time, it, chips away from what the idea originally was and you end up with something you either end up disproving the original idea or it it morphs in some way. And so the perfect example of that, that I always talk about is witchcraft. Um, Witchcraft went from being something completely mysterious and unknowable. And, you know, demons were just as powerful and the devil was just as powerful and magical as, as God. And so there was no way you could ever understand them to a slow eroding over time of, well, actually nothing can be, you know, um, nothing could be greater than the theoretical God. And so therefore they must be natural things. And then witches were using natural methods to do their magic. And then all the way down until finally it became the case. Well, 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 there really aren't any witches. Um, There's poison and there's, you know, herbal healing and stuff, but that's just science now. And so what happened is the witch went from being a powerful idea to a completely powerless idea with no reality really in it. And then people just took those same stories. And now instead of a witch coming to your home and abducting you out of your bed at night, it's an alien. 
right? Or <laughs> it's a, uh, a a black, a shadow person or a black eyed kid or something like these <laughs> same stories continue. And so while the, you know, the ancient alien people would say, well, that's just proof that aliens have always been here. In my mind, it's like, well, what if it's witches still? You know, like it's the there, there is the whole point is that there's no uh, real evidence, and then once you get to evidence, you ruin it. And so for ghost hunting, I feel like the same thing's kind of happening where ghosts went from being this like romantic, interesting, like a Harry Potter style kind of ghost thing, right? Where they could it was a life after this life, and you wandered about and you could talk to the living and change things if you wanted and whatever to now where they're just electrons that we're measuring with a EMF reader, you know? Right. So what, so well, you know, yeah, it, it ruins it. Well, first of all, and then, and, and I, I, you know, I think it's, it's, it, it irks me. I mean, I, I don't have a scientific bone in my body, honestly, but, but it irks me anyways to call what you see there science, you know, because sure. there's just like, you know, an, I mean, who's to say, you know, because they just make up all of these, they have all these assumptions and there's like no basis for it, really. I mean, you know, that that any of this, these gadgets actually work or, or that that they're measuring the right thing, um, you know, or, or that what they're what even what what they're measuring that what that means. I mean, there's no way to know any of it. It's just uh, it's all just they've sort of cobbled together these assumptions and these rules, and and it doesn't. There's no nothing to say that it works. Um, but I think you're exactly right. I think it. And I'm I'm a I love ghost stories, but but it ruins the ghost story when you reduce the ghost to well, you know, I've, I got a spike on my EMF meter. That must mean there's a ghost here. You know that yeah. uh, that. Yeah, that, when that, it's overly explained, too, I think it's like that takes so much out of any any good any good ghost story. It's when it's, when it also when gets see, when you see too much of the monster itself in so many ways. Like I hate to put <laughs> back into film, but it's like what was great about Jaws? What's great about any good horror film? Like right. the less you see of it, the more mystery it has to it. The more right. the more imagination, the more you put into it instead of it putting into you. And when you're when you're sort of buying in and, and having your imagination build out what that fear is, it's so much more convincing than, you know, it being a well, mechanical like, shark. I think there's also though something to the idea of, um, for example, like with, this was actually something I was thinking when Marie, you said that there was no real, you know, historical evidence for this story, um, at that, at the, uh, at this, you know, this inn or mm -hmm. the, the hotel, I keep trying to think of what the actual name was, but I keep babbling Brook in the Brookdale, okay. the Brookdale, right. Brookdale, Lodge. Brookdale, Brookdale Lodge. Oh my goodness. Brookdale I'm going to get some, so many bad emails from them. I'm sure. But, um, <laughs> but like the idea that if it was very specific, then people that have an experience there, like the having it be nebulous and open means that there's more, chance for people to have an experience oh, in the sense absolutely. right in the sense yeah. of you know yeah. um oh i didn't you know i asked the ghost on my emf or on my whatever evp thing what his name was and he said his name was brian but a brian never lived here you know and it's like well i mean yeah like i don't know i think no, I, yeah, I agree with you and i think you you have to have enough tenants to kind of get the story set in some ways like yeah. it helps 
you know, it's like, okay, what is, what is the, the, the again, the, the archetype of the ghost or the, the thing that is the haunting and where is it being seen and who's seeing it? And even again, like I like the addition of the room number because I do feel like there's certain places, especially in hotels, there's always one room or one place that has more activity than others. And that's well, the story yeah. behind it. So I feel like you have to have those things, but you also have to have it be fluid enough that you buy into it, that you still have a creative or sort of an imaginary or an imaginative tie to it. To It has to be credible. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah, sure. it has to have well, enough information to, say, to have that story, though, yeah. What I was going to say, though, was for me, some of the most convincing pieces of ghostly evidence i suppose or haunt evidence of hauntings or whatever are not those cases where it's very specific and like you know um it's it's times where it's almost more like the like the amityville horror style kind of motif i guess where it's a feeling that just builds and builds and you know it's an, it's an, an uneasiness or an anxiety or you know this place doesn't feel right i don't know why mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but this place doesn't feel right you know, to me, that, although none of it has a, a physical basis per se that I can think of, um, that idea of there just being like a bad feeling or a, you know, this area is not safe for, for some reason we feel like it's not safe. That to me, um, those are the kind of things that I find the most compelling, I guess. I don't know. I'm with yeah. you. Well, you know, I was, I mentioned earlier that jail that I spent the night in. Yeah. Um, the, uh, the, right before everyone left me alone in it, they, uh, they had a tour going through and, uh, I was in the room with this tour group and there was a teenage girl in the group and everybody's just standing there while the person is talking. And all of a sudden this teenage girl starts screaming and grabbing her leg and just jumping up and down. And her mother takes her into a, another room and uh, comes back. And the, the teenage girl had three scratch marks down the inside of her leg Ooh. from her thigh to her ankle. Three scratch marks all the way down the inside of her leg. Her mother even took photographs. And, uh, you know, that you, you have that kind of thing happen. And you're just like, okay, maybe there's an explanation for this. But, you know, it just happened right in front of me, and I I can't think of what the explanation for this could be. <laughs> Let's get out the hot cocoa and the sleeping bag. Especially, especially since there's, like, a history of, of that happening Yeah, well, the uh, thing, you know, at that location. And that, that, was a, that was one that I was like, huh. Oh, the thing that I hell course, no. Hell yeah, no. I mean, the thing that I find most interesting about that, though, too, and this is something that I tell people all the time about, you know, um, people will say to me like, Oh, well, you know, Oh, you have all these books on like, if you come into my apartment, there's, there's one room where it's all drawings of like, uh, you know, what we used to think animals looked like. So it's all like really bad drawings of like monkeys and boars and stuff. And then there's another room where it's just like alien pictures and drawings of ghosts and like lithograph. And it's, we have a bunch of weird, our house is weird, uh, weirdly decorated, I would say. But people, when they come over, are always like, oh, are you into, like, ghosts or, you know, UFOs or whatever and stuff? And inevitably, we end up talking about that um, the whole time. But one thing that I find fascinating about that is people who will say to me, you know, well, do you really think any of it is real? And to me, that there is, like you were saying before, 
the only thing that I know for sure is that these stories are real, right? That these, right. these people, like maybe, maybe some of these people are making things up, whatever. But in cases like what you were just saying, where you, you, I mean, we trust you, you were in a room and you saw someone's leg get scratched that what if if the mind can do that that is still an infinitely interesting and terrifying thing to investigate right you know what i mean like the yeah. Yeah. the reality of what it was to me is is a is an interesting part but it's it would almost be scarier if your brain could just do that to you sometimes on its own you know for no reason <laughs> like at least right. if it's a ghost you can I don't know, put a river around you in the ghost or whatever, you know? I might not be able to understand it, or maybe I don't fully believe it. But that doesn't mean I'm not scared of it, right? I mean, it's like, if I see something like that, I'm like, you know what? We're going to call it. Calling it now. I don't don't need to believe it to realize I'm now, I am experiencing fear. I've got the fight or flight, and I'm going to listen to that, and we're going to leave. Sure. You know, I'll just go get a beer someplace. Well, you know, one of the things. Yeah, haunted. Yeah, no. Sorry, go ahead. One of the things that I've one of the things that I, I kind of have struggled with is that in in because I give I've given lectures on telling ghost stories and workshops with tour guides on telling ghost stories. And a lot of one of the you know, obviously you, you see things sort of skeptically from a scientific point of view, but the people that I usually deal with see things skeptically from a historical point of view. Mm. And they're mm-hmm. they're they think well history is you know provable and it happened and folklore to them has no value and that's one of the things that I, I sort of argue with them about try to convince them of is that folklore in and of itself does have value um, even if it's not always true or not wholly true you know one of the things that I, I tell them is that one of the defining characteristics of folklore is that it's not provable or disprovable. Mm-hmm. You know, if it's mm-hmm. if you can prove a piece of folklore to be true, then it becomes fact. And if you can disprove it, then it becomes fiction. So there's folklore exists in sort of this middle place where, which is what makes it so interesting, is that you may know that some parts of it are not true, but there are other parts you're not sure about. And, and that's, to me, what makes it compelling. Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, I think so is, I mean, absolutely. Yeah, it's... It's actually fascinating to me that they would think that there is no, because I've I've heard that argument given before too, right? Where there's some, there's some, I guess classes of historian where, or I guess sex. I mean, there's there's sex of people in all, all walks of life and everything. But like the, you'll have one sect that says you know folklore is a, um, a misguided thing or you know. Something that's interesting, but maybe not superstition. Superstition yeah. has kept us back, you know. But right, it, but, it, it, but it, we've learned from, and we're done with, which is sure. But then, not it, but then at the true. same time, it, I think it does have a lot of very interesting clues about the worldview of the peoples that told these stories about what uh, they really were experiencing at times. You know, I, I actually get very frustrated with, um, I, I get very frustrated with ancient alien stuff. It. It, it drives me crazy. Um, and one of the reasons that I think it makes me more, so more crazy than chemtrails. More I just want to try and get a balance. Really? Damn. Yeah. Jumped up on the list. I know. And I think it's because of the whole, I think it's because they start from the assumption that the myths are a hundred percent factual, right? That, that they're not just right. kind of interesting 
stories or clues. And so to me, it almost takes away from what I think is a very worth, you know, I wouldn't be doing this show if I didn't love the folklore of uh, these ghost stories and things, you know? So anyways, this is my own, my own little soapbox. Um, so, well, you know, especially something like that too, because it's not, I don't, I, me personally, I wouldn't consider like ancient aliens to be genuine folklore because you're just grafting a modern thing onto something else. Sure. And it, it, yeah. it's not, it's not something that's come down, you know, over time naturally. Um, I'd be really, I, I'd really be curious to hear you, your thoughts about all the flat earth stuff. <laughs> oh, dude, we could oh, yeah. do a whole thing on the flat earth. You know what? That's another one of those stupid ideas that keeps coming up again and again in history. It's, you know what? The, the thing with the flat earth that I find to be so fascinating is that with a little bit of money and a little bit of know-how, all of these people could, in theory, prove to themselves that it's not true. Right? One of the most famous flat earth, uh, one of the most famous arguments for the flat earth is, um, I'm, I'm completely for, uh, blanking on the name right now, but there's a, uh, there's like a waterway in the UK and it goes straight for miles and miles and miles. It's a man-made river. And what the idea was uh, that this person had who thought the world was flat was that if the world was curved, then you should be able to, like, block your sight line eventually. So, in other words, if you stand, say, six miles downriver from a point that you put, uh, you know, a three-foot-tall pole, right, there's a certain distance away from that pole that you could walk where you'll no longer be able to see it over the horizon. Right. So it's behind the curvature, but right. And they don't get what curvature. Yeah. Okay. Sorry. Right. So this, so oh. this, this person's argument was that this, this piece of ground must be completely flat. And so I should not be able to see it from this many miles away. And so he went that many miles away and he could see it. And he was like, aha, the world is flat. And what he didn't account for was that the ground in the spot that he was standing was six feet higher than in the spot that he was at initially. So really he was looking down at an angle where it definitely would have been possible to see. So, and, and the, that's the history of the flat earth thing is these, um, but these... can't you, sorry, sorry. No, going. go ahead. Go ahead. I was going to say, can't you argue like flat earth is sort of, is lore taken to one extreme in the spectrum? Well, I, like it's I, I almost think, like dogmatic belief in something. That I is think it's lore paranoia. Based. Yeah, I was yeah. going to. I, I or think or it's paranoia. paranoia taken to the extreme. Yeah, I think what it is. There's a. It's. I think I'm. I'm. A, I'm with you, Mike. I think it's a. It's an extension or a continuation of a long. A long series of distrust in institutions and government, right? Cause who's the only people that have ever seen the earth from the sky, right? It's NASA. And who is, who right. owns NASA? It's the right. government. But and could, the I government is run by it. globalist lizards, Marie. Well, yeah, that you and I can totally agree on, but you could also say that those, that type of paranoia, that's that, that in itself is its own myth, right? That in itself is its own lore to it. Like that, that entire thing is, 
is a fiction that's, that has been internalized so much that becomes somebody's belief instead well, of being it, able to step back and be have some sort of rational way of understanding it or disproving it. You're just embedded in it. it and it's, all, it's also not that... It's not that different than the idea that the Earth is 6,000 years old or that um, the Earth can never... The earth can never warm due to human uh, negligence or effects, right? I mean, it's all part of this idea that the universe is perfect. It's created for humans by a maker. And therefore, you know, not to say that science and religion aren't compatible. I mean, they're, they can be completely compatible. It's up to each person to make that call for themselves. You know what I mean? But, but uh, I would say fundamentalist, religion is not is not consistent with a scientific worldview because it requires these jumps to mythology right and so right. this idea of the flat earth i mean it's we're told that it existed up until Columbus, right? Oh that's kind of the you story. You shouldn't have gotten him going on flat Earth. That's kind of... <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm hope, sorry. I hope, you have a, I hope you have a... I hope you aren't planning to do Couple, anything for the yeah, next no, four seriously. hours. Yeah, I know, seriously. Till tomorrow morning. The, the sun will be <laughs> coming up and I'll still be talking thing. about angles and, and sunbeam radians and crap. And, yeah, I think it's... I mean, it's a, it's a fascinating topic and it's something that I think, again, it's one of those... If we look at like the the march of science, there I I do believe that there are gonna come points where science simply can't. By definition, there are things science can't explain to us, and like they sound stupid, like they sound like first year philosophy things, you know. But you know, like love, man, and colors, like man, colors, you know, like. But all of that is true. The way that we perceive color is not actually a quantifiable thing. The way that we feel emotion is not necessarily a quantifiable thing. Although we can quantify it to say like a scale of happiness or joy or something, or measure a pulse rate to get mm -hmm. how afraid we are. Um, that's still, that says nothing about how we literally experience it. Right. And so I do think that there's going to come a point where we realize that science is, is inadequate for describing certain parts of the world just based on what science is, you know, how it's set out. And I think as science becomes more and more all encompassing and kind of, you know, all uh, explaining, I think we're going to see outcroppings like this of little bits of the world where people still think there's room for magic or there's room for, you know, wonder or conspiracy or whatever. And mm -hmm. America is especially rife for that because we have a long history of, you know, I'm not going to believe you just because you have a, you know, a, a lab coat on, you know, I'm just a simple farmer, but I know more than NASA, you know, or I'm just a simple engineer. I know more than my doctor. And I, you know, nah. I, I take, I'm down with you as long as like I'm down like with that I, that magic being still in there as long as it doesn't come up and scratch me on the leg. Right? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Then, you know. And then I mean, like, I'm and, and the thing is, my, then I'm like, gonna lose all my uh, rationality. Like, look, I'm I'm a relatively scientific person. I still take vitamins and stuff, despite the evidence that it doesn't do any good. 
You know, like, like I still do that, just, you know, because, like, whatever. Dora, Dora's gonna, now your mom's gonna be all worried about you, man. But, uh, like, I, I'm sorry, I'm still tripping out at the fact that you stayed in the jail after seeing... I'm also, I mean... Can we just revisit really fast? <laughs> well, it was we a little close. late to back out at that point. No, 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 man, no. Was why, were you tied down? Was there, like, they shackles already locked on the doors. you? No, I would have been like, you know what? Now we can. I, I think I can catch a I, Riverdale's going to be on CW pretty soon. I think I can catch that. <laughs> so, Mike, before uh, before we end this, because we've been talking for a while, although it's been amazing. I mean, anytime you want to come on, please do so. We got loads of other stuff we can talk about, man. But uh, I was wondering what your what your opinion is, at least, of the grand unified paranormal theory. And I don't know. I don't know if even you if, know. I get asked that. I get asked that question a lot on the ghost tours. Yeah. Um. And I hate. I hate when people <laughs> ask me that. Um. Not nice clothes, the, Chris. Ouch. What, <laughs> no, no, no. It's the uh, the question that I get asked a lot is, "What do you think ghosts are? What do you think?" Mm. You know. And my my answer is usually, "I don't know." And I and the even better answer is, "I don't want to know." You know. I. I, for me, I don't want to, and this kind of goes back to, I think something that Marie was saying earlier is that I, I don't think everything needs to be explained. Um, I like the idea that there is mystery, uh, you know, and there are, there are things that we, sh- you know, I like the idea that there are some gray areas and sure. maybe it's true and maybe it's not true. You know, and it is, uh, I think it's sometimes nice to have, some unanswered questions um and and then at the end of the day i don't know you know i would be you know that that those deep sort of huge metaphysical questions like that i couldn't answer if, if i tried but um i you know insofar as is ghosts and stuff go i have no idea um you know i i like ghost stories and uh i i enjoy telling ghost stories um, I've seen some weird stuff over the years that I can't explain, but I have no idea uh, what's causing it. Okay. You know, every time I ask that question, I find it fascinating that I get a different, I get a completely different answer to everyone I ask it to. And sometimes like, so Sam from Not Alone, who is on this show uh, a lot, when I asked him that, he started Talking about, um, you know, he did a haiku. Yeah, you know, we we made a deal with the uh, with the gray aliens and look at my beard and you know, I love Jason and all this other weird stuff. And, uh, like, I find it fascinating that everyone has their own idea on this, and I and I actually think I probably, I think I probably sit closer to what you're saying, where it I I don't know if I want these things to mix because it kind of gets rid it, it kind of ruins the point for me you know it's mm-hmm. i think these stories are interesting not only because of their ex- explana- ex- explanatory power i guess but also because of what it tells what it can tell us about ourselves you know and about these stories even existing in the first place for us here but uh man i'm also jealous everyone else seems to have a ghost story but me marie 
You know, it's it's cool. I don't think I have one either. But that doesn't mean I'm going to go searching for one. That well, doesn't mean yeah. I'm going to be going into some jail being like, hey, I've got an idea. Get out some s'mores. Well, <laughs> you know, this, to actually go back and answer Marie's question mm -hmm. uh, of why I stayed in the jail, that, that was the reason is because I had spent, you know, 19 years telling other people's ghost stories. And I wanted to have a ghost story of my own. And so that's why I went ahead and spent the night in that horrible place. Damn. But, uh, and, you know, it was, a, it was an interesting night, to say the least. See, I'm still good with you telling them, Mike. I don't need mine. <laughs> I was gonna say, I'm all good. I'm all I'm, good. I, I always, you know, we're always talking a big game here. But, you know, if an alien nope. ever landed in front of me, I'd probably pee my pants oh, hell and away. No. Oh, yeah. <laughs> no! I'm dead. Oh, yeah. I'd be right there with you. I'd be right, oh, right there with you. man. Well, thank you again so much uh, for coming on, Mike. It's seriously been oh, such... Oh, thank you for having me. No problem. It's been such a pleasure. I, uh, I hope yes, we can get you on you. again it soon. Good. Yeah, it's, yep. it's been a lot of fun. Um, that is it for this week's episode, dear listeners. I will be back in one week with a full episode, and then we'll be back in two weeks with another roundtable. I am, as always, your host, Chris Cogswell, joined by my co-host, Marie Mayhew. Good night, all. Good night, all. And Mike, uh, thank you again. Everyone, this is Mike Brown from Pleasing Terrors. Mike, where can people find you? Uh, Pleasing Terrors, available anywhere you'd normally go to listen to a podcast, and also at Pleasing Terrors on Facebook and Twitter. Great. All right. Well, thank you again so much for listening, and be back in one week. You know, a lot can happen in seven minutes, and luckily, that's how long it takes me to tell a story. My name is Aaron Califato, and I'm the creator of 7-Minute Stories. I'm proud to partner with Evergreen Podcasts, and I'd like to invite you to join me on this journey. I'm going to take you on some crazy roller coaster rides using my unique extemporaneous storytelling style, and together, we're going to try to make sense of the world, all through the art of storytelling, and all in approximately seven minutes.